the Lord. As you make your way back to your pew, just remain standing. Let's go back to the book of Jude tonight. Let's jump right back in to a discourse that I believe will be eye-opening as it was last week as Jude gave to us a clear portrait of what an end time false preacher, teacher, apostate, apostate church will look like. I posted something on social media earlier. It's amazing to me that the scripture gives us clear understanding of how a church or a body can fade from truth, but nobody wants to talk about that. I want to see church growth, but I do not want to trade the truth of God's word for church growth. You understand what I'm saying? I want God's word to go forth, and then I believe there will be not only church growth, but long-lasting church growth tonight. So let's jump to verse 14. And remember, I showed you the five things that an apostate person looks like. Clouds without water, twice dead plucked up by the roots, foaming waves that touch the sea. You remember those things last week. Now there's a little change right here for about two verses, and then he jumps right back it seems so you can have a clear picture of what to see or to expect or what should we should we should guard against in the end times I believe that these two verses in between is a promise to you and I that God is going to judge the ungodly I believe that not only the ungodly but false teachers who promote ungodly teaching tonight let's go now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, grabs their attention, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute what? Judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly. Two words you're going to see in these verses, all and ungodly. It flows together. There's a reason. All who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in what? Not just deeds that are ungodly, but the deeds are ungodly and the way they commit them is ungodly. And of all the harsh things, which again, the ungodly sinners have spoken, and I love this right here. This is clear to the 2018 church. Against who? Against him. Yeah, when you go against God's word, you go against him tonight. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth, I like how he says this, they mouth great swelling words, flattering people for one reason, to always gain an advantage. That's what I want to teach tonight. If God will help me to paint this picture for you once again, and then the good news for you next week, he moves to a positive platform of showing also of the godly where we rest in the end times. Let's pray tonight. Father, tonight I need you to help me teach. I'm not trying to move anything in the flesh. I just want to teach a word. I want to have an appropriate anointing tonight to make sure this word is so sound in doctrine, but also that is easy, easily applied to our people that we can guard, stand watch, be watchmen on the tower in this end times so God that we can not only live upon their truth, we can abide by the truth and we should also 
teach the truth in Jesus' name. Everyone said, you may be seated tonight. After Jude gives us these five clear pictures, if you are with us tonight, he calls us again to contend for the truth, to fight for faith. He says not only should we fight for faith, he gives us the picture of what the apostate preacher, teacher, church will look like. The clouds without water, as I told you last week, give the appearance that they possess something. But when they show up or we go to them, they are liars, they are phony, they are false. They do not have what they say they have. Now tonight, after he gives us those five, he takes two verses right here to explain something. It's almost like joy that he wants to calm us. He wants to remind us as almost as if it is out of control. What can we do about these false teachers, Ashley? What can we do about this new way philosophy, this doctrine of pluralism, this doctrine of any old God will do you, this doctrine of taking multiple theologies, taking a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Mormonism, a little bit of Jehovah's Witness, a little bit of natural selection, and just moving it all together and creating our own theology that we might fill up our pocketbooks and entertain our flesh. And let me press this tonight into a little uncharted territory that may make you feel uncomfortable. I, I'm hearing amongst our own ranks tonight that teaching like this should not be taught in churches anymore. And even preachers in the church of God are saying that you should teach on this, Neil. You're pushing your people. There's gonna be people that's gonna quit North Wahala. You need to go to the model of the church that only preaches what people like, what people wanna hear, what makes them feel good, and you can grow a church quicker that way. That's true, I do believe that tonight. I believe you can grow very quick, but as I told you last week, it's like Colossians 2. They grow quick, but they die even quicker. They don't have 104 years of continual, faithful ministry tonight. And Jude shows up and he warns us. He said, I need to tell you something. Even though they look like this for a season, God is going to judge them. Saints of God, there is going to be a reward not only for the here, but also for the hereafter for standing up and teaching in Sunday school classes faithfully, for preaching in pulpits faithfully the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. Not only does it reward me here, it's going to reward me there. The Jew says tonight, he goes back to a pre-flood historical biblical situation and biblical figure by the name of Enoch. Enoch, seventh removed from Adam, he reminds us that in his day that there was a downward spiral of godliness to the ungodly. And he reminds us two things tonight, listen clearly. First of all, that it is still possible to live, to walk, to preach, and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromising who we are. Enoch is given to us as a reminder that in the midst of filthiness, you and I can still live godly. 
I spoke with a young preacher tonight in his first introduction into ministry. Before he goes to CAMS, before he goes to MIP, I took him to Paul's writing to Timothy where he urged Timothy, not let no man despise your youth. Timothy was speaking to elders that were over him who would look down and say, boy, I've been serving God longer than you've been born. But Paul says, Timothy, don't let them despise your youth, but you must do two things. You must have speech that is godly, and you must have conduct that is godly. I told that young preacher, if you're gonna be a man of God, your speech will tell on you, and your conduct will tell on you. Listen to me, church, tonight. If we're still, we can go the way of some who are compromising, who are saying it's okay to live any way you want to, touch anything you want to, do anything you want to, and you can find churches all around our region who will preach that. But I come and let somebody know tonight that you still can also be like Enoch in the midst of ungodly times and ungodly ways and filthiness of the flesh. You and I don't have to compromise tonight. We can still have godly men, godly women, godly parents, and godly young people right here in 2018 in Jesus' name. If you believe that, will you give God praise? Amen. Not only does it show us that you can remain godly, it shows us that God will judge the ungodly. Now real quickly, I don't want to stay here long because we're going to teach an end time series, I'm hoping at the beginning of next year on Wednesday nights. But he says here, if you'll go back to verse 14, I believe it is, and 15, he says here that not only is God going to judge he says, and I can stay here with Enoch a little bit longer, but I think you understand Hebrews mentions also how Enoch walked by faith. He says, but behold, a dramatic word here, it's almost like the parting of the curtains of a play. He says, behold, that God is going to come and judge with 10,000s of his saints. Now, the debate here is this, is he talking about the rapture or the second coming of Jesus Christ? Now, when I say that tonight, some of you are going to say, you will say the rapture is the second coming. If you will allow me to keep that there and come back to it another time, I believe I can show you in theology what he's trying to say here in the book of Jude. But let's just take the second coming, what we would call when he comes and brings the saints back with him for the millennial reign. Let's just say at that moment when he comes to judge, he is saying the book of Jude that God is faithful. The ungodly that he mentions four times, God is going to judge them. I know what you're thinking tonight. Young people tell me, but they're getting away with it, preacher. They're having premarital sex and I'm trying to be godly and they're, in, they're enjoying their lifestyles and they're in our church and they're getting away with it. They're getting away with their affair. They're getting away of preaching not sound doctrine and preachers are being paid in greater measure to preach false teaching. That's not new. That's the book of Corinthians. That's not new. That's the enemy's cheap trick to persuade people to sell out. But what he says to you and I tonight, remain godly because there is coming a day of judgment. Brother Nolan, they're getting away with it. No, they're not. Let's read this verse, please. Go to the next verse, verse 15. What says? He says, to execute judgment on who? All. To convict all who are ungodly among them of all what? Their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way. Now, you know you're in some deep sin that your deeds are ungodly, but the way you're doing it is also ungodly. 
You know, when you're doing, no, forget it. And so, and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners, and this is what I'm gonna focus on because of the book of Jude, that they have spoken against who? Yes, ma'am. See, Jude is about the apostate church who turns from sound doctrine and makes up any doctrine to pacify their own pleasurable, private, tolerable sin. Against who? Him. Jesus didn't really mean that. He didn't mean that thing about the wheat and the tares. He didn't mean that thing about that two would be in the field, two would be in the bed, two would be grinding at the millstone. He didn't really mean that. It's like the most prominent preacher one of our days who tells me, don't believe parables. Parables are suggestions to make your life better. Mm, have a hard time with that. Just let me be honest. I really do. I have a hard time with that tonight. Don't, don't understand what Jesus said to this person. They strip every fiber of holiness off the deity and the name of Jesus Christ in an effort to water down the gospel to suffice the crowd and the people that are there. But my question is this, when you get what you want, do you like what you have? Because it's the pastor's daughter who told me recently, dad, speaking to her father and I was there, when she called on the phone and said, I have gone into sin. And she said, I found preachers who told me it was okay. And she said, where are they at tonight? For I live in my shame and I cannot find my way out. Dad, please tell your colleagues to not stop preaching the truth. That's not a preacher. It's not a Sunday school teacher. That's a sinner who knows better but can't find their way out because we have neglected sound doctrine so long that the church has become the playpen for the religious elite who dare not preach the word because it's offensive to people who's supposed to know better but refuse to do better. Come on somebody tonight. It's not against me, it's against him. When they tear down Jesus, when we have to decide, is there another way? Maybe there's another way to heaven. Maybe Jesus didn't mean that he was the door. Maybe he didn't mean that he was the light. Maybe he didn't mean he was the only bread. Maybe he didn't mean he was the only water for the thirsty. Maybe there is another God. Maybe there is another philosophy. Maybe we can combine Islam and Christianity and pull those words together in the name of unity and kumbaya and getting alone. I tell you, and I, I believe he said what he said. I believe it's the divine word of God. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. I believe it walked just like he said it did in flesh, and they could not comprehend it, but they also could not distinguish it. I believe it is and was as it was said. And tonight I've come to let a church know for 104 years, let me correct myself, I said 103 last week, for 104 years we were built on the word, we kept the word. We preached the word from our oldest saint until the children's church. The word has built this church through every fast,
path, every fashion, every change of wind. The one thing about North Wahala, it was always known as a church that preached the word through the power of Pentecost. I see no need changing that philosophy today. He said it would convict the ungodly for what their false teaching. He's not just one of many gods. He is the God. The application for you and I tonight is simply this. It was Jesus then. It's Jesus tonight. And it'll be Jesus tomorrow. If we start debating that, shut down the shop. When they went to Mexico recently, they went with one umbrella, Jesus. When they go to Ecuador in a few months, one umbrella, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Every young minister that comes up under me, first thing, first meeting, before I teach them about conduct and character, first thing I tell them, when you get the privilege to stand in that pulpit, you will not preach politics, you will not preach philosophy, you will not tell me about what you think this man or that man, you will preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you can't find where that's at, it's from, it starts in Genesis 1 and 1 and it ends in the book of Revelation. Because if they get mad with you, if you preach the gospel, they'll be okay, but I cannot defend your philosophy, your thoughts, or what your mama told you. First, sir, first thing I teach them, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It still works today. On the back street of Baltimore, or the back street of Atlanta, or a holler in Oconee County, or on Lake Kiwi in a million dollar house, it is still Jesus Christ. Watch what he does here. Go to verse 16, please, and we'll close. Once he reminds us, God is going to judge. It's a warning. It's a warning for you and I to continue to walk godly, but it's a warning to the false teachers. Uh, mm, one of the biggest churches in America, did y'all see this recently? One of the biggest churches in Chicago, they asked him, the church is going through some chaos right now, and they asked him, what would you change? He said, I would not worry as much about being seeker friendly and I would be so caught up in one thought of preaching the true word of God. If I could change anything of a ministry that ran above 10,000 that affected worldwide, he said, I would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says he's gonna judge them. Watch what happens. Once he judged them, judges them, he comes right back and he says one more time, uh, I thought about this today. It's almost like he's driving the point home three or four times to give us a clear picture of what these apostates look like. So first of all, let's dig into these things and then we'll close. He said, these types are what? They're grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust and they mouth, I like this one, great swelling words, flattering people to gain an advantage. First of all tonight, he wants us to understand that these type things, when you see them, these apostate false teachers, they have a spirit about them that they're always mumbling, grumbling, and complaining. Why? Because it is the opposite of what? Contentment. What did Paul say? In all things, I find myself content. Not happy, 
not joyful, not happy, Bo Walls' house burnt today, not excited, but content. Knowing what, Philippians, knowing what, he shall supply all my need. It was saying to them that if you really know your Savior like you say you do, you know that it's gonna be all right. Well, Brother Nolan, what if the cancer takes my mama to be absent from the body? It's to be present with the Lord. You're just an alien in a strange land just for a moment anyway. He says these false teachers, they will complain and murmur, but the really, to be true to the text, they murmur and complain about their fate and their destiny, meaning their lot in life. If I was born taller, if I was born richer, if I had Brandon Butts' money, I could buy my wife whatever she wanted. You understand what I'm saying? If I had this, if I had Ralph's house, if I could preach like joy, if this, I, it's Church of God's fault, it's Baptist's fault, it's Presbyterian's fault, it's the President's fault, always complaining about something. How can you be full of the Holy Ghost and be full of complaining as well? Brother Nola, everybody's complaints is apostate. No, no, no. We'll walk this down for you to understand. Remember, it's against Jesus. Well, I don't know, I've been saved, but it's just not what I thought it was gonna be. What did you think it was gonna be? See, some of us see Jesus as a wishing well, a genie in the bottle. They see it as a lottery ticket, a lottery ticket. On a funny note, one of my teachers I went to high school with who taught economics, the man was the tightest man in the world and recently he won a million dollars, a million dollars. I hope he remembers me and ties here at North Wild. No, I'm just kidding. But people who are always mumbling and complaining, they're never content with anything. You can't make these people happy. Why? Because they're not happy with God. And if they're not happy with God, they're not happy with themselves. And if they're not happy with themselves in God, I should say it that way positionally, Romans 8 and 1, if they're not happy with themselves in God, you can't make them happy. I can't make them happy. Nobody can make them happy. They're the ones that get in a church and it doesn't matter. <laughs> no joke. In one weekend, one person in my family told me, your family member doesn't want to go back to church because the preacher didn't wear a coat. Then somebody else got mad because that preacher dresses too old school because he wears a coat and tie. See, those type people, they're not here for Jesus. You can't make them happy. You can't, you can't. You Listen, you can't. I had to confess, though, I did wear my shirt tail out the other day by accident. I did tell my mom that, but that was by accident, by the way. You understand what I'm saying? Those people you can't make happy no matter what you do. Why? Because they have left their first love. They forgot about how good it feels to be saved. They forgot about their sins have been forgiven. They forgot about the joy of the Lord is their strength. They have left their first love. That candlestick is not burning as it should be burning. You've got to be careful for these people because they don't preach sound doctrine. They stand in the pulpits and they do nothing but murmur and complain. Amen. Secondly, they walk after their own lusts. Now this is deeper than just temptation. This is their wild, disorderly, impure passions that do what? Rule their conduct. And they are contrary to the writings of the prophets, the teachers, and wrote by, written by the Holy Ghost. The apostate churches, 
I want you to hear me. I'm not talking about personal conviction. I, and I know, and I need to be careful here, I know alcohol is the battle of the day. So let me just take out anything personal or any specific sin and let me just do it on a general level. What scares me in the modern church, which is totally different than the church of North Wahala 40 years ago, is that while the church of North Wahala 40 years ago may have been a little to the right on sin where we erred on caution. You remember? You know, couldn't even wear makeup. You with me? Anybody? You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that's right or preaching that. In fact, some of you were glad you got makeup on. I'm kidding. Anyway, so I'm not saying that. You'll get that later. That's okay. That's all right. I'm not saying that. But modern preachers have boasted of freedom, neglecting the fact, Rusty, that the scriptures teach us not to use freedom as a licensure to sin, okay? And so now we boast about cheap grace, which Jews spoke of in our first service, of cheap grace, and we're abusing it so we can allow ourselves preachers boasting of freedom and then falling to that same freedom. Come on, somebody. Let's don't, let's don't play with it. Let's be honest. No, no, I can't boast of it. It's still sin to me. It's still sin to me. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I don't sin, but I know better. I know what sin still is. I know what it looks like. And when I don't know what it looks like, the Holy Ghost would convict me and say, you know better. I'll prove it to you. Second Peter 3 and 3 speaks of appetites and passions. And if you want a book that mirrors Jude, go to Second Peter. It says in Second Peter chapter 3, let me read just a little bit. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets, and of commandments of the apostles of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ knowing that first that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. He says that one of the great signs of the last days, here's the difference, is that out there we expected a worldly desire to sin. But when it comes here and there and we don't no longer have the shame of it, but we promote it, hello? I told you recently there were two couples inside of the church went to their pastor and asked the pastor, can we swap spouses? We feel like we've married the wrong people. Now how would you like to go to Sunday school class and that Sunday school class on Sunday morning? Hello? He says, let's, let's take it a step further. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Remember what I told you about the book of Jude? He promised that God will come back and judge. Second Peter says that they, listen to me, listen to me, they will live in their lust, preach their lust, talk about their lust, glorify their lust, and then when you try to tell them they're wrong, what would they say? Who is this Jesus that you speak of? Is he more like Oprah's theology? Is he more like the political Jesus? Is he more like the one who said he was coming? Where is he at? It's been 2,000 years. He's not come yet. It's past 2,000 years. So you just keep that fairy tale, Neil Nolan, and let me live my life. I'm my own boss. That 
is what Jude is speaking of. That's it. I can't get more clear than that. These who walk in the last times, who live their own lustful flesh, Listen to me. I am not perfect. I sin. I have to repent just like you. But here, here's, here's my problem. I had a call last week of a leader that was involved in sin, and we set out a plan, not this church, but we set out a plan of restoration. I understand that. I was involved in that in, in my, in my at Sherrill Church of God where I was a member of the team. I watched that frequently. But what I don't understand is that when we see sin, but we no longer want to repent of it. And not only just not repent of it, we endorse it. Let them preach. It doesn't matter if they're having an open affair right now. God's grace is sufficient. Let them preach. The whole Jude says no. Peter says no. Let me take it a step further. Says time, I can't read the whole thing. Verse 8 says of 2 Peter 3, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The writer reminds them what Jude reminded them, God will eventually judge this. Quit saying when is he coming? Why has he not come by now? He's not going to come. I might as well live it up. He says you don't understand what a year is like because you live in flesh. God is not confined by time. You and I are confined by time. He says, so before you get so haughty, verse 10, but the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Be careful to say God's not going to come or God's not going to judge. He says, 2 Peter 7, verse 14, since this, you and I need to be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and without blemish, without being blamed tonight. We cannot endorse this modern day teaching that it's okay to do anything at all. Nobody say amen. I know, I know, I know, I get it. But Brother Nolan, you got to work out your own salvation. Absolutely. But read the rest of it. Read the rest of it. At least, please read the rest of it with fear and trembling. We used to plead the grace of God to cover sin. Now we plead the grace of God to enjoy sin. Thirdly, I've got 11 minutes. Look to your neighbor and say, he's teaching. Just, just help me out tonight. I need to hear that. Thirdly, he says, they speak great swelling words. I like that. Second Peter 2 and 18 said, for when they speak great words of emptiness, emptiness, they are lured through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from these live in error. While they promise liberty, they themselves are slaves. He is simply saying that these people right here, they are stand in pulpits and Sunday school classrooms and they teach about things that seem so deep and so powerful and such new stuff. Think about the theology of 2018. The major theology point of 2018 is that now Christians are believing the earth is flat. And before you laugh at that, that is a movement that is spreading. It has already divided some churches that I know and some great teachers of our day have now shifted over that way. Only question I have, and because I, I went to Sherrill High School and Church of God Lee University, and I know I'm not as smart as them, but what does it matter? Right. 
You don't take one Sunday morning, two Sunday mornings, 10 Wednesday nights that you should be teaching my son about how to live godly, how to serve Jesus, how to pray, how to fast, and you gotta come up with these new philosophies. You remember that in the 80s? Jesus, 81 reasons why Jesus will come by 1981, so everybody diverts their time to that. You know, you know what I'm saying? All these people preach these crazy ideas and philosophies, these new deep theology every time. Some people run after certain preachers and they go, oh, preacher Olaf, you can just preach like that. You've heard that man preach three times. Three times. You want to see a good preacher? Go to Pastor Smith. That man pastored one church for over 20 years. You're not a good preacher because if you can't do that, 20 years, that means for three times a week for 20 years, that church heard that man, saw that man, and watched that man live, work, and preach. That's a good preacher right there. Three times? I can preach anything for three times. Hello? We've got caught up that in the church of God many times. Falling after evangelists, falling after a new philosophy, falling after a new doctrine, seeing crazy. We gotta chase the mystical. We gotta chase the gold dust that falls. People leaving with gold teeth in the sanctuary. Listen to me. What does that matter anyway? In the early 90s, coming spirits, the Holy Ghost in Toronto, people are leaving with a mouth full of gold. That's not church. I saw guys have gold teeth on the street way back then in 1996. It didn't fall for heaven, you just put it in your mouth. It's just a grill that you would pop in there. Are you listening tonight? Because anytime we preach that swelling words that seem so powerful and beneficial, and now as a man now preaching that he's Jesus and all that, it does nothing but distract us from the true gospel. Of telling that little girl that she needs Jesus, that he's alive. Of telling that woman that's pregnant out of wedlock, he's still saved. Telling that family that their house just burnt down, don't worry about it. God will supply your need according to his riches and glory. Telling that young person that has cancer, don't you worry about this, God. God is still a healer and he's able to heal. We have been divided. We have been scatterbrained because we have chased after every wind and doctrine where Jew says you stay true in the last days to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Real quickly, let me give you two more things. Are you with me tonight? Great swelling words. Flattering people to gain advantage. That word flattering is very clear here. That means you admire men that you know can benefit you in such a way, I, I really like to link these two together. One theologian calls it filthy lucre, is a, a theological term. But you pursue people and you change who you are because you know they have something that you want in the natural. Hello? We can't do that here. We can only go so far and we tell them, listen, this is who we are. This is who we stand for. But false teachers and false prophets, they will change their doctrine. One of the most powerful Pentecostal voices of the 80s who came from Old Roberts University, one of the first Pentecostal sermons I ever heard by an African-American man that brought the house down, changed his philosophy for filthy lucre, and now they've even made a movie to praise his great courage to follow his new God. Saints, I know it's old school, but you said this is what they look like.
I'm not saying you gotta wear your hair up in a bun. I'm not saying we gotta go back to old ways that maybe were just personal conviction. But I'm telling you this tonight. North Walhalla without this is a church that's about to close her doors. So let me ask you tonight, and let me get on some thin ice with the faithful people, and you take it, you take it that it's for people that are not here. I'm looking at Sunday school teachers all in this house. I feel it already. We teach the word here. So why don't you bring your children? It's easier when Susie's six than when she's 16. I'm not, I'm not hollering at you, hear me. I know you've been on vacation, I'm not saying that. It's not even about anybody in this house. It's a general statement. If the word is not important to you, it will not be important to your children until they have a God encounter. We have Sunday school teachers that prepare. We prepare on Wednesday nights. We prepare, we study. You just don't come dig this out or grab somebody's sermon and teach. You have to dig for this stuff. And we're trying to get it to the people, but if the people don't want the word, you will always find a church somewhere that it will let you live by whatever doctrine you want to. I know doctrine is a taboo word of the church. I understand that today. But I'm asking you tonight, is it worth it? Do we take the book of Jude as it says? Do we fight for the faith tonight? With our gloves held high, do we stand there and say, listen, we'll let go of things that are personal conviction. You have yours, I have mine. We'll let go of things that maybe I can't prove, you can't prove. But when it comes to the basic tenets of our faith, I cannot believe your way. I can go to the family reunion, I can go, but I cannot change the virgin birth. I cannot change that he's the one God existing in three persons. I cannot change that he died at death and he did not sin. I cannot change that he got up on the third day. I cannot change that he ascended. I cannot change that he's the Holy Ghost baptizer. And I cannot change he's my advocate and I will not change he's my soon coming king. Now we can argue about what day to worship on. We can argue if you want to about having drums in the church or not having drums in the church, which I think is a foolish argument, by the way. We can discuss the little nuances that you want to. We can talk about salvation in spectrum. We can talk about different theological things. We can talk about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. We can talk about second coming or two and a half comings of the Lord. I can debate those. We can have a discussion. But saints of God, when it comes down to my Savior, I've made up my mind. You can have the whole world, but just give me Jesus. Would you stand with me tonight? <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, next week, I believe, let me go back one more time. I believe that we will move forward in Jude, invite somebody with you. We pick up next week in verse 17. Yes, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk of the ungodly lust. And then he's gonna tell you to do something that will be controversial. So I believe that you will be here next week since I made that statement, all right? I love you. You're a good church, amen?